You are listening to the Eating Disorders Recovery Podcast with me, Tabitha Farrar. Hello and welcome to the Tuesday podcast of Eating Disorders Awareness Week 2017 and um, every day I'm talking about um, issues that affect adults in eating disorder recovery this week. Today it's about sex, relationship, families and kids and warning in advance I talk about sex in this podcast so if you don't want to know about sex or listen about sex then this might not be the one for you. It's not explicit, don't worry, but we do use the S word. And just to give you a head start, heads up on what we'll be discussing tomorrow and the rest of the week, in case you want to email me your um, thoughts on this and anything you want me to read out. Wednesday, we're talking about entrenched behaviours um, after 5, 10, 15, 30 years plus of having this eating disorder. Um, on Thursday, we're talking about loneliness. And on Friday, we're talking about not being treated like an adult in um, treatment centers or in treatment overall. So if you'd like to email me your thoughts on those, it's info, I-N-F-O, at Tabitha Farrar, that's T-A-B-I-T-H-A-F-A-R-R-A-R.com. All right, so today, before we get started on what you guys have thoughts on um, family, partners, and children, um, I'll let you know my own, how, how it went down for me. So... Um, children, I don't have any, so that's, I don't need to go into that one, although I'm sure that plenty of you will in a minute. Um, family, I, um, my family were always really great, actually, they, considering they didn't know what was going on with me any more than I did, and they tried their best, um, I, I think that they were always loving and supportive, regardless of how much I, um, pushed them away, and... I was pretty irritable and horrible when I was sick, honestly. And um, it, eating disorders do that to you. I felt like I just had a complete personality failure for 10 years. And to some extent, some purposes, I did. A lot of um, the eating disorders effect was to change many aspects of my personality. I became a lot more withdrawn, um, irritable, really cranky. I was just, uh, you know not very fun either I, I didn't laugh very much um very pessimistic as well and um so it's it's generally a hard person to be around although you know my family really stuck with me and i'm thankful and love them very much for doing that and it's really wonderful now on the um, other side of that that i can participate more and in in family things and actually enjoy them you know christmas dinner and i've written about um family holidays and birthdays and Christmases and these events and how um, traumatic they are when one has an eating disorder but you know Christmas aside even just if it's a Sunday lunch and my my poor mother had tried to get me to come around and eat something with them I, I couldn't have been you know I wasn't very much fun I was dealing with so much during a meal time so much anxiety and stress that I, uh, how could I have been very much fun? I mean, to describe what it was to somebody who's listening that doesn't have an eating disorder, imagine a family meal, and then you've got your own personal little audio of somebody running fingernails down a chalkboard in your ear. That's really, you know that, that sort of wince you can even, even when I say that, running fingernails down a chalkboard, it kind of makes you go, oh, ow. It, that was the sort of feeling I was having the whole time when eating food, especially when eating food or being presented with food that was uh, higher in calorie or higher in fat than I would have tried to eat alone. Just incredibly hard and, and all 
pretty painful. And then, so you try engaging in conversation and being happy-go-lucky when you've got that nails running down a chalkboard in your ear for an entire meal. It's just, it's hard to be very much fun. And um, I think that due to the wonderful effects of um, psychoanalysts and um, pseudo-Freudian thinking and um, lots of years of bad information on eating disorders, which thankfully is changing, Parents and families have been given a bad rep and um, that they absolutely don't deserve. Um, it is true that some parents are shitty and that some people have not desirable relationships with their parents and a pretty hard time. But that's a coincidence if you have an eating disorder. It, it can't cause. It's a biological illness. It's not caused by bad parenting. It's caused by energy deficit if you have the genetic predisposition for one. And um, I think that around my age of adult sufferers, a lot of people whom I um, work with or, or whom I know who have eating disorders have been to psychotherapists and their relationship with their parents has been questioned. And it can be almost um, tempting, alluring, and I dare I say it, indulgent when somebody says to you, the reason that you have this problem, illness, eating disorder, is somebody else's fault. It's quite tempting. I've had a doctor tell me that before, and it's a bit like, hmm, I could blame this on someone else. And um, it's tempting. So I understand why adult sufferers sometimes go down that rabbit hole. But really, it's not helpful because I can't ever promise anyone that, oh, your relationship with your parents is going to get better. I, I don't know. Sometimes that's not true. Sometimes people just don't ever get that relationship mended for whatever reason. But that doesn't mean that recovery can't, from an eating disorder can't happen. You, you know, recovery from an eating disorder can happen whether you have a good relationship with your parents or a bad relationship with your parents, frankly. It's so much easier if you have a good relationship with your parents because those are the people that can come in and truly help you. And in the vast majority of cases, people have loving parents that want to help. There are odd cases where it doesn't happen, but that doesn't mean that recovery can't happen. It happens regardless of relationships with anyone else. And a large part of recovery is, to sustain that recovery, dealing with stress. And if the relationship that you have with your parents or your partner or anybody else is a, is a source of stress, then that's, that relationship is not triggering you or making you restrict. It's your response to stress that's doing that. And any stressor will make us do that. And so really the key is to work out how to deal with stress in a way that doesn't aggravate your eating disorder. And that's a whole different ballgame. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of talk about avoiding stress and avoiding triggers. And well, good luck with that. Because if, if you can work out how to avoid all stress in your life, well, you just—you haven't just solved eating disorder recovery. You've saved—you've solved the human condition, I think. Um, so tell me about it if you can work out how to do that. For the rest of us, who are human, well, we just need to learn to deal with stress and not allow it to make us participate in things that are not healthy for us. So anyway, I went on a bit there about families, <laughs> but I'm just lucky. My family are amazing. Okay, so what about relationships, boys? Ugh. Okay, this is this has to get personal, but I'm good. Personal, but I'm going to go there. So, my onset was at seventeen, and before I um, had the onset of anorexia, I had not had sex with anybody. I was still a virgin at seventeen, and that actually wasn't because I was a prude, and it wasn't because I was a good girl. I was just fun. I just 
I wasn't really that bothered. I was just, I was riding horses. I would much rather go out with the weekend drinking and dancing with my friends and worry about boys. I think I just wasn't in a hurry. I wasn't opposed to having a boyfriend, but I also wasn't going to go out and sort of bust a gut finding one anyway. Um, I lived in a village, rode horses, drove to the local town at the weekend with my friends, went out crazy partying, drinking, dancing, and then rode horses all weekend again. I really wasn't necessarily out looking for that sort of thing. Um, And so when I was 17, I still was a virgin. And... Then um, when anorexia came and took away uh, around 50% of my body weight, well, that's just not sexy. I, <laughs> I, I wasn't interested in sex or relationships, and I also couldn't have looked attractive to anyone. I mean, it was, it was hideous. So that meant that I didn't then have a boyfriend until I started recovery, and that was, I was um, almost 27, and... It was actually the first time that I went out to a party in all of that 10 years. I weight restored enough to, I wasn't all the way there, but I put on enough weight to know, "Mm, I look pretty good again. (laughs) I'm looking all right. (laughs) And um, so I thought, you know, I usually declined party invites because I thought I looked terrible. What was the point? But I decided to go. And it was at that party that I met the guy that I then later married three years later and uh, I'm still married too so that's my that's my relationship experience there I was a virgin until the age of um, 26 and that was difficult for me because when I started to recover and I actually started to be interested in boys at 26 I had no experience with them no experience at all I was incredibly intimidated because I was I was so far behind I mean at 17 I was aware that being a virgin at 17 even was a little bit late and that I'd have some catching up to do but 26 and I didn't admit it to anyone apart from a few like really close friends and actually people like my family that would guess because (laughs) they knew I wasn't having any boyfriends so I, I didn't really talk to anybody about it either. And it's it's really difficult at the age of 26 to just sort of be right. Can someone tell me about like how this all works again? Um, I know that we went through it in, in primary school maybe, but <laughs> someone tell me how it works. So I didn't, but I was really lucky that um, I just met an amazing guy that helped me sort all of that out. So there you go. That's my sex relationships and... Um, parents, family, friends. Now here's for yours. Okay, so this is somebody who responded on the adults forum. Um, She said, cannot stand to be touched, it's awful. Luckily my husband is understanding. It's one thing that worries me so, so much since I know that lack of sex is a big indicator for marriage breakdown. The best thing I ever did was to tell my husband that it's nothing to do with him, that it's all to do with me. Um, And he was so relieved, poor guy. I hope to be back to sex sometime soon. Well, that's a great one to start with. Um, so this person, she has obviously noticed her own um, decline in her sex drive and that she doesn't like to be touched. But she also still really loves her husband and has told him that this is what's going on. You know, I have an eating disorder. It's, you know, He's obviously been, he, he's in on her recovery with her. 
But I do think that just that um, reinforcement of <laughs> it's nothing to do with you, sweetie, the reason that I don't want to be touched, um, it's, it's really important because from the partner's point of view, no matter how um, much a person tries to understand, I think that, okay, this person has an eating disorder, they're not feeling very good about how they look or feel right now, real um, low sex drive, it's it, you've got to take that personally. I, I mean... I, I can't see it any I can't see how a person could not take that personally if you're married to somebody that doesn't want to be touched by you. So I think it's really important to have those conversations. It, it will probably save a marriage. Okay, here's the next one. At the beginning of the illness when I came underway, I was still married. And not only did interest in sex decrease, but also the very thought of it became too much. I still like to be hugged and things, but sex, no way. Um, I quite liked sex before that. She put a little winky face. Um, now the thought of that being that intimate with someone again is far off the agenda until fully better. And I think that's that's wise, and that's um, it, when there's no when there's no when there's no sex drive and body is incredibly underweight, then sex is off the agenda. And somebody else replied. Somebody else put the last relationship I had. I had baby Jesus, two monkeys, and three wise men. <laughs> And then somebody replied to that with, oh, if I got pregnant, it would be holy intervention and I would be married the second. Um, the, the great thing about people with eating disorders is they have a fabulous sense of humor. And that's something I really enjoy about the adults only Slack group that we have. There's just, there's, there's a lot of love on there. There's a lot of, of um, suffering going on as well. A lot of recovery going on. A lot of people challenging themselves and challenging themselves to eat and recover and with the support of the group. But there's a lot of humor as well, um, which I think is important because a lot of the things, if you can't laugh about it, you're going to cry about it. So it's one or the other. Somebody else wrote, I haven't had a sexually a sexual relationship since I was 24. Um, and then my eating disorder killed my libido. So my dietitian says the hole probably closed. But oh no, there's no boyfriends um, since then and I don't hate men at all. Some of them are the nicest people to interact with, but keep your effing hands off. So yeah, there's a definite theme there of not only just not having a sex drive, but really not wanting to be touched actually. And I can, um, I can confirm, I, I didn't want to be touched. In fact, that wasn't just in a sexual way. I didn't want to be touched at all. And I think the opening um, chapter of my book, I explain how my mother put her hand on my shoulder and I would shrug it away. And that was really to do with I knew how thin I was and I I just hated somebody else to touch me and, and feel that. Um, so I think that the um, stereotypical view of a person with an eating disorder is that we all think that we're fat. We all have body dysmorphia. For many of us, it's really not true. Um, we actually don't like being as thin as we are, and we're very hyper aware of that. And I know I didn't like other people touching me because I thought that I was so skinny, and I was, and it disgusted me. So I used to think, gosh, it must disgust someone else to touch me. Um, some people do have body dysmorphia. It's common alongside an eating disorder, for sure. And then they might also not like to be touched for other reasons of thinking that they're they're just unattractive or, you know, for whatever is going on. But it does seem to be a, a real theme with adults. And obviously, if that person is married, that's going to be difficult. Okay, um, so the next one wrote, My eating disorder has taken a huge toll on my parents. They have had to step in and look after me when I'd normally be living away from home by my age. 
They are helping me a bit financially with treatment costs too. They are not full-time carers me currently, but they are there if I need their help. My mum often travels with me to appointments, and on many occasions she has advocated for me when I needed someone to step in and help me get the help I needed. I cannot express how grateful I am to them for everything they have done for me. I wouldn't be where I am in my recovery journey without them, their love, understanding and support. Wow. Like I said, you know, family, they can be the biggest support in eating disorder recovery. And that's not just for teenagers and kids. That's that's for adults as well. And I do know adults that have moved back in with, with parents because they know that they need help to be looked after in recovery. And that takes a lot of bravery. I mean, that's a huge step for an adult to move back in with parents and say, hey, guys, hands up, I need help. But it's just like this person said, she wouldn't be where she was without that. It's fabulous. Okay, here's another one. As far as family, I feel eating disorder has disconnected me from them. I have missed out on so many family functions and they stopped inviting me, which is painful and makes it feel worse. When I am with family, they just don't understand. It's like the big elephant in the room. Now, since being in IP treatment, I am open with my parents and share. My eating disorder has kept me from dating and feeling attracted to other people. Eating disorder tells me horrible things about me not being worthy of love or deserving of a relationship. I also fear a man touching my body and feeling my thinness. It must be gross to them. I can't have children if I wanted them. I have had to leave my job and not work, and I know it's painful for my parents to see that. After many years of an eating disorder, I don't know who I am. It's like being a detective and carefully listening to my inner voice. That's been recently. All I could hear was a whisper. I'm blessed with a wonderful therapist who has given um, her time to helping separate me out from the eating disorder. In treatment therapy, to address who I am has never given up when I left and couldn't find a therapist who would listen to me and could help me. I felt lost, alone and trapped. Going into treatment, popping out looking healthy and was told that I was ready to work or do whatever when I felt like I was actually having a total crisis. It was scary. The eating disorder took advantage before I realised it. So that's a really interesting one. Lots of things in there. But um, I can really identify with the bit at the top, at the beginning, where she said that uh, the feeling disconnected from family. Um, and for not just family, I think for me it was friends. I often felt like, say if I was in a room and or I did go to something, I it would just feel like an out-of-body experience. Like I was just sitting there watching other people talk to each other and laugh with each other and I just wasn't really in the room. It's what it felt like. For me disconnected is is absolutely the word for it and then so then I stopped going and then I would decline any invitations I was given and then people stop inviting and although that's entirely understandable it, it, that hurts as well just like just like this person that's written in said that that hurts um it's a very lonely and isolating illness okay here's another one the impact this had on my husband was huge he went from thinking I was going to die and the hospital calling him so that he would be prepared for the worst case scenario to utter frustration and anger in dealing with the final conclusion that I had been deceiving him all along by salving myself under his very nose. He found it difficult to understand that an eating disorder is not intentional, why I had denied its existence and therefore lied to him. He couldn't get his head around it for um, a long time. I, couldn't, I could really understand his anger, but I did feel under attack and very lonely and scared during that time. My sons were also effective. Their life was interrupted and they had to accommodate my illness in terms of helping me with physical things such as carrying bags and holding me when I walked. I became anxious, no fun and on edge about everything. As a result, they gravitated towards their father 
and I felt like I was the outsider. I lost my place in the family and I felt as though I had lost their respect. They were so angry with me. It's taken time to gain all this back. When I told my son I was going to recover, he didn't believe me. I think that that is wow. And that's obviously a mother's perspective. Um, I'm really getting into, first of all, the dynamic between her and her husband and him not understanding the illness and then blaming her for it. But then also the relationship with their sons is because when we are in recovery from an eating disorder, like anxiety goes through the roof. I mean, talk about no fun. I Yeah, on, no fun and on the edge about everything. Remember, it's those nails down a chalkboard feeling pretty much the whole time. And so then um, she says that she feels that her sons sort of gravitated towards their father and away from her. And that must have been really hard. Um, but this person's in recovery and she's doing really well and those relationships are being mended and that is really the fantastic gift of recovery if things not only does your own body and your mind mend but relationships and all the things that the eating disorder took away from you in life they, they start to mend too okay here's another one during the recovery process my husband has come to understand that this really is a mental illness he's seen how hard i grapple with eating weight gain and the physical drama that goes with it but most of all the mental torture that the life i have lived and told i told him that i would rather die than go through this process again and he definitely understood that my sons don't say a lot about me getting better i know they're happier and feel more at ease as a result they've come close to me again and here's another one so parents and children i can't comment on too much i was married right at the start of my eating disorder but that did not survive as the eating disorder had me pushing him away more and more and neither of us understood at the time what was really happening therapists and then she's put in brackets or so-called therapists at the time had me think that he was the wrong partner for me and so part of my problem which was actually not the case since then alone and really family-wise it's just robbed me up to now of the family i thought i would be having at the age of 37 but i remain hopeful for the future and here's another one i want recovery not just to eat with my family but because i want to enjoy the relaxed social element spontaneous and flexible time of enjoying food having seconds or just enjoying the meal without thinking about the food as such so it doesn't dominate the pleasure of the meal itself it's so natural I want recovery not just so that my son doesn't question my eating habits or because he'll develop similar patterns, but because I don't want it to dominate my entire family life anymore. And I think that's a common theme there that a lot of adults and um, especially mothers in recovery feel that they just want to be able to relax and enjoy and eat with their children and, and be present with that and not have the eating disorder at the back of the mind just constantly niggling away. Okay, I have a couple more here. Um, the, the, the sex question, um, I got a lot of responses to that, which is fabulous because I don't think, <laughs> like with most things with eating disorders and adults, it's one of those things that's not really spoken about very much. Okay, here's the next one. I'm 38 and have never gone out with a guy, having had anorexia nervosa for 20 years. It's on my list when I'm ready for it. And I don't think it's only the eating disorders blame. I've always thought I haven't met the right person, but my psychologist said that with my background, I wouldn't have let anyone near me for miles anyway. And the eating disorder kept me busy with food and exercise, so I didn't have to really worry about it too much. Uh, I hardly have any libido at all um, in anorexia, but that does definitely change along the way as you recover. At least that's what I've found. 
I'm quite looking forward to being in a serious relationship one day, but when I'm ready for it, I think I would feel much better remodeled and not just sick first, so I have the energy for it. I think anorexia keeps you so occupied with food and exercise and body shape and weight that relationships are not a priority at all. And the emotional suppression that you get with eating disorders and my background, it was not a recipe for much relational growth. I am enjoying three years into recovery relationships with friends now and being real with them. I don't need them to understand overshoot or recovery and I appreciate them for who they are. This is one of the best things about recovery. It's fun doing stuff. The next two weekends, my friend and I are going to art exhibitions and she's an artist, but I've discovered that I love going too. It's so much fun and the obsession of food and exercise doesn't come into it other than making sure that I have enough food and probably going to a cafe or two. So that's from somebody who is in the overshoot stage of recovery and it's wonderful to hear from her how in this stage her relationships have developed. That's pretty exciting. Okay, here's from somebody else. For me, the physical stuff is something my hubby is very understanding about and has said he's not bothered about while I'm recovering. He's um, been so stressed by it all. I think he's too tired. I can make I can make or break. I know, but I've, we've been together so long now. It's important, but it's important. It's not a pressure. I think it's simply different in every relationship, but it's equally important. Both partners are aware the way eating disorder affects the sufferer and the partner too. Yeah, I think that's a great point and another one about sort of communicating about the illness if you're in a relationship with somebody. Here's another one. Sex is pretty much the last thing on either of our minds at the moment, but it still lurks in the back of mine. I so wonder if it does his. Luckily, he can see it's my sickness and not me. I hate it though. I hate that I have no desire to even be touched by my husband, let alone do anything else. It bothers me a lot. And somebody else wrote, I don't think our relationship could have lasted if he hadn't understood that I simply didn't feel like or need um, pressure in sex. The progress comes from its patience and from me realizing that sex brings other pleasures like feeling love or seeing him smiling, experiencing all sorts of pleasures is an amazing reward of recovery. And also thinking that I can someday give life instead of sucking mine and others. Yeah, I think that's um, a really important part of recovery. Just being able to enjoy things. I mean, as she said, like pleasure is an amazing part of recovery and just having that as not something that's conditioned, but you're just allowed to um, have. Okay, another one. Um, the beginning of my marriage was hot. I was thin, but not underweight. And then I lost weight and sex became more complicated. I felt fast invaded, but I had regular moments of sex with my husband. Paradoxically, is when I began to recover that sex became rare, as I realized I was very, very thin and I was ashamed to impose this image on my husband. By gaining weight, the desire has reborn in me, but I won't hurry. My husband approaches me like a cat with caresses, with caresses, compliments, and offerings of food. <laughs> That's so sweet. Um, as she said, you know, like um, recovery has made that better for her, and I think that's a really wonderful thing. Okay, here's another one. Oh, this one, um, this one's about children. And this was actually written into me um, from a, not a sufferer of an eating disorder themselves, but a partner of a person who has an eating disorder. And um, it says, no one in the treatment world seems to fully grasp the issues that put people with eating disorders might have very young children and childcare doesn't grow on cheese. If you have a ton of money or supportive family willing to pick it up, it's... Um, great, but otherwise it's such a barrier to treatment. 
You can say nothing is more important than treatment, but the needs of your toddler are pretty important. And even if you have the emotional cost of missing enough of your kid's life to do residential is horrible. Oh yeah, so she's obviously her, the her partner's been in residential and then sort of, you know, it's missing the missing the kids when, when a person's in residential, wow. And um, it, it continues, seriously, how come there is substance abuse treatment residential centers that let you bring a child to live, but in eating disorder centers, there are rarely visiting hours and often these visiting hours are too late to be young child friendly. My wife in a residential center, which was a 20 minute walk from our home, could barely see our son once a week and that's not okay. Um, and I think that's a fabulous point and a really important point. So an adult in recovery, an adult who has children, and that person in recovery can be male or female, but if they have children and they have to go to inpatient treatment, that, that's, that's huge. And also the knowledge that if they go to inpatient, which may be vital for their care, if the knowledge that if they go, that they're not going to be able to see their children, I mean, I think it's hard enough to willingly go to inpatient treatment anyway. But what if you also have the condition that I can go and it might help my recovery, but that means I'm not going to see my children. I mean, that's that's a really important point. And it's something that I hadn't actually thought about um, because I don't have children. And the um, effects of somebody going away to treatment can have on the family and not just going away to treatment, but um, all the other things, sort of appointments and um, putting the eating disorder recovery first must be incredibly different when there are especially young children in the mix, things like childcare. And, you know, to wrap this um, podcast up, I did get a lot of um, people talking about the way that the eating disorders sort of affect their relationships, um, things from just relationships with family to actual sex and not wanting to or having any sex drive or want, not wanting to be touched. And the theme that really came out, I think, um, within all of that is that communication is crucial. Communication to family members, um, to loved ones, to partners, to sexual partners, that something's going on and this is not about you. This is 100% about an eating disorder it makes me not want to be touched it makes me not want to have sex it makes me not want to go to family gatherings it makes it very difficult for me to hold a conversation with somebody at a family gathering it makes it very difficult for me to be present with present with the children you know that communication and the understanding that this is a mental illness and I think that things like this these sorts of um, relationship and actual real people Um, problems are one of the main reasons that I think it's so important that we understand that this is a brain-based illness it's not a choice that someone's making it's not a fad it's not just because they're trying to look good in jeans it is an illness they're not doing it on purpose and I think that when families and partners can really understand that that this is an illness and it's not a choice well then the hurt feelings start to become less hurt feelings because you wouldn't have hurt feelings if somebody who had just been diagnosed with cancer said hey I can't come to your birthday party next weekend because I've got treatment to go to or hey I'm just not feeling very sexy right now so sorry or you know hey I have to go away to treatment and we need help looking after the kids 
there wouldn't be hurt feelings if it was a cancer diagnosis. And an eating disorder diagnosis has to be taken with that degree of seriousness and that degree of understanding and that degree of this is not a choice. I did not choose to have this illness, but I have this illness and I need your help. Okay, so that's today's episode. If you want to write in and let me know your comments on um, tomorrow's Thursdays and Fridays, the topics are Wednesday, we're talking about entrenched behaviors and personal identity crisis that a person might have after 10, 20, 30 plus years of having an eating disorder. On Thursday, we're talking about loneliness. And on Friday, we're talking about not being treated like an adult or an individual in treatment. And so those are the topics this week. Um, do feel that you can write in and let me know your thoughts. The uh, email is info at tabithafra.com. Uh, the Twitter handle is at love underscore fat underscore. So you can tweet at me as well. And um, the same on Facebook. You can get in touch via Facebook. And a request from me as well. If you are liking these podcasts or have been listening to my podcast for a while, um, do me a favor and go and give me a five-star rating in iTunes. And I know that's so spammy to ask for that, but actually my main drive behind that, because I'm making these podcasts anyway and I will never make money out of them and I don't, so I'm not driven by that. My main drive for that is so that people searching for eating disorder podcasts in iTunes, if this one has lots of five-star reviews, it will come up in search sooner for them. And so it might help get this to the ears of somebody that needs it. Thank you.